0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the On The Record podcast. I'm your host, Devin Watley. In this episode, my guest is New Center, Maine, multi-skilled journalist, Jack Mollman. We discuss his experiences traveling across the country early on in his journalism career, what it was like to cover historic moments at the Derek Chauvin trial, the things we love about storytelling, and so much more. Here's our conversation, and I hope you all enjoy it. Hey, everyone. My name is Devin Watley. and you're Listening to another episode of the On The Record podcast this week, my guest is multi-skilled journalist for New Center, Maine, Jack Moment, Jack, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, Devin, thank you for having me. Um, this is a very famous podcast and I've been wanting to come on for a while. So I'm very, very happy that we found time to do this.
0: Yeah. Like I said, I've been wanting to have you on for a while and, and you know, finally here's the chance. And so um, I want to talk to you about quite a few things. Obviously you have, we know each other for those who don't know, we know each other because we were in the Daily Aztec together, San Diego State Student Newspaper. Fun times there. You were the, um, the video editor, right? Did I get that right? I don't know. It's been a while. since
1: It, would, it would I was so uh, weird. So I was the live producer. There you go. For the Daily Aztec. And Amal was the, was video, the video editor. editor. There yes. you go. But
0: you guys uh, were working in collaboration with each other. Yeah. So yes.
1: it was all um, the video section.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And so that's how we got to know each other. Then obviously, you know, I got to do some work with the video section, the live shows. And then once all that came around and here we are now. And so one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about was you've been traveling quite a bit for a young journalist. I mean, you went from here in San Diego with CBS eight producing residents to Minnesota, you know, doing the Chauvin trials there for uh, KARE spending some time there, doing some journalism stuff there. You go to Portland, Maine, Mm-hmm. 2 months ago last month yes. and now you're here at New Center Maine. I mean obviously you've done a lot of traveling. A lot of journalists talk about that in the field and just like kind of an expecting sort of thing. As how has that kind of been adjustment wise for you just having to travel and like finding finding these opportunities and 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 growing. How has that been?
1: I honestly every time people have asked me how you handled moving it really, really, I, and I'm going to sound like such a wet blanket here. It's just going to end like such a dry response, but it really just depends on your situation. Um, you know, My situation is that I graduated into the Tegna producer in residence program. Tegna is a corporate owner uh, of several stations around the country. and uh, There is a recruiter within Tegna who really cares about um, you know the people working within Tegna having a good place that they want to work in. Um, So your question about finding these opportunities, I've stayed with Integna through San Diego, Minneapolis, and Portland, Maine. Now, KARE, KR11 in Minneapolis is a station that I knew before moving there because I worked there for the Chauvin trial for a month. So I moved out there from San Diego with the promise that I would learn to be on-air, storyteller, be super in that field and go away from my producing and digital experience and, and really get into that storytelling training. Um, you know, some things happened in my life and then things were happening at care 11 that it didn't necessarily work out. Um, and I was supposed to stay there for a full year. So once things weren't really working out anymore, I went back to my guy at Tegna shout out to Noah. And I told him that this isn't working out and what can we do? So that whole process was about two months of talking with him, finding out what stations I could go to. Um, at first the deal was that I would do another three months at care 11 and beef up my reel, get more experience so I could go to a decently high market and start off there as an MSJ or strictly, you know, on air for live hits. Uh, but I told him I kind of wanted to move more immediately. So Um, we were looking in the Northeast uh, as close to where my girlfriend and her family are. And um, I applied to Hartford, which is a Tecna station. And it's about a similar market size as San Diego that did not work out, which is fine because I ended up at Portland, Maine, which was fantastic. Everything so far is fantastic. And, you know, about finding these opportunities back in, care 11 that was different because I knew about care 11 and I knew that was going to kind of happen for a few months and I didn't have to really worry about it. But once I knew I wanted to leave care 11, it was out of this world. It was, it was even within Tegna, it was hard to find a station that I could go to. And honestly, just, just say yes to anybody who wants to talk to you. Um, the news director at Portland asked me for a conversation and I, to be honest, I didn't think anything of it at first. And I decided to talk to him and we really hit it off. And so that really stuck in my mind. And Now we still make each other laugh when I find my news director in the office now. Um, it's great. So, uh, yeah, if he asked me like back in January if I'd be working in Portland, Maine, three months later, five months later, I would have said, I don't even know. I, don't, I, I turned into a point at Portland, Maine on a map, but now I'm here.
0: Is it like, you know, making that decision to tell Noah at Tegna? to say oh this isn't working out for me. You know some journalists te- technically have a harder time nece- necessarily exp- expressing that to people. Um was that harder for was that like decision like easy for you to sort of do like to tell Noah like yeah this wasn't the right fit like I wanted something different?
1: I think um yeah, yeah, it was hard, but th- this wasn't the first time that I told Noah being completely honest. Um, and I will say for other journalists who are just starting their career, who are looking for advice on how to talk to their corporate management, you should, always, I mean, you 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 should rather be as honest as you can than regret it later. And just, you should swallow your pride and just, you know, risk it. What, what do you have to lose? It's, it's, it's just business. And anytime you feel like you're going to insult your company by saying it's not working out, you're not because your company can replace you with somebody else. So they don't take it personally. It's just business. So by me telling Noah that this isn't working out is me saying, Hey, this, this, this project that you're working on, this program you're working on, I need some help to succeed in your program. Uh, and when you say that's not working out, that's what you're really saying. So then they want to help you, uh, go to that next step. It helps them and it helps them also. And also like Noah's really genuine. It makes them feel really good. To see people like me succeed. So it, it wasn't hard. Um, I would say the beginning of my time, and because I got hired into Techna in 2020, right around the time that I graduated. And I pretty quickly told Noah that, like, my thoughts on everything the, the Producer in Residence program was supposed to be producing digital and on air training. But once the pandemic happened, they got rid of the on air part of it because they just didn't want people being that close to reporters and that kind of contact happening during that early stage of the pandemic when we didn't really know anything about the virus. So Mm -hmm. Uh, I told him my reservations about that. Um, Anytime I felt like I wasn't getting what I needed at San Diego, I was able to talk with him about that. So really just starts off on day one, making sure that you you cultivate that open communication style and that that should come from you too as the worker and not just from management because one day you might be in management and you'll have somebody who's looking for that transparency and honesty and as a manager you will be able to give that to them
0: yeah and i think it also works for like the opposite way if you're trying to be in a company and move up right i think it also works that same way too is like if you're proactive with your managers and with your you know executives in management about what you want to do Like, yeah, I want to get into producing. I want to do this. I want to do that. Like they will. The thing is, they will they will get you to where you want to be like they do. They want to see you succeed. And I think that's one thing a lot of people like should understand is like they they want you to do what you want to do and whatever aspirations that you pursue and that you want to reach, they will do the best that they can within their within their sort of area within their field to get you there.
1: Yeah, it's 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 also because like like I said, it helps them. <laughs> when they when they see you succeed, it helps them. um They they really en- not only do they enjoy that; it, it just makes the, like that that's their job is to help you succeed.
0: Yeah, and like in that aspect of traveling and whatnot, you know, you're entering into all these different environments, right? From San Diego to Minnesota in the Midwest to now Portland, Maine, in the East Coast. Yeah, what's it like just for you, just being in these different environments? I mean, is it does it throw you off a little bit? Is it is it a change? Is it a what is it?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. I, it's so, it's just weird. Like, I, I just, Um. on one hand, it's, it's so cool to just say that, like, you know, like, yeah, I lived in Minnesota for almost a year. Yeah. Like, I, I got paid to drive across the country on company time. But, like, on the other hand, I'm just, sometimes I just sit back and I'm like, oh, my God. Jesus, like. You just, you just think about it and you could think about it for a while. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it it just, it's just really mind boggling to think about that. So yeah, it's, it's always a tough adjustment. But I will say this, that my move out of my mom's house in the San Francisco Bay area to San, to San Diego, when I went to school, that was a harder adjustment than, than moving from San Diego to Minnesota and then moving from Minnesota to Maine. Uh And I didn't even visit my parents or my family when I moved from Minnesota to Maine, I went from Minnesota to here and I haven't seen anybody since. And Oh, wow. Now that, that was, that's, that's a trip. Like I yeah, literally, I wanted to leave Minnesota so bad because I wanted to start my MSJ journey immediately. I probably have less than two weeks of work left at care 11. And I was able to find somebody to take over my lease in St. Paul, Minnesota, I was able to sell my old car and I was able to find a place to live in Portland, Maine, which is one of the hottest housing markets right now where rent is literally insane. And I did it all in two weeks and took a lot of hard work, took a little bit of luck. And now it's just, it was like all a blur and that's why I didn't visit home. I just wanted to get to work that quickly. And they, that's just how it was. That's just how I saw it working out. And I didn't really want to, you know, I can't curse on here. Can I? No, you can. I was going to say, like, I don't want to fuck it up.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I think, you know, sometimes it, I think and I think this goes toward any journalist too, right? Is like you need a little bit of luck sometimes, regardless of whether whether that's in traveling, whether that's in any other situation. Right. You, you need a little bit of luck and you need you yeah. need you, you just need a chance. And um, yeah. and I think it works also, both ways.
1: Yeah i sorry, just luck doesn't come to anybody at an equal chance. You increase your chances of luck by working hard. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's all I wanted to say.
0: Exactly. Um, I know journalism, like a lot of us, we face different moments of adversity, right? And we've had those moments, whether that's been in our first job or whether that's been, you know, in the job that we're in now. Is there ever one moment that you look back at and you think like this was something that like was a moment of adversity that I struggled through and I went through, but it helped me out as in my career in the long run.
1: I'll say probably my time in Minnesota. You know, I. Went out to Minnesota. I went into debt to move to Minnesota because, you know, I was told that I would go out there and learn to be a reporter and no fault of anybody. I was supposed to learn from Boyd Hooper, who is one of the most, decorated local news journalists in the nation. One of the best storytellers we've ever seen. And I was so psyched to learn from him. And when I got out there, he was unfortunately diagnosed with with cancer, multiple myeloma, blood cancer. And so it was just kind of, wow, what are we going to do now? Like, definitely like, and it's a blessing that he's doing better. And he was able to get a surgery that, will basically kind of restart his immune system, which will help him fight his cancer. And in, in, in going through that journey, it it kind of put me in a weird spot, uh, where I moved my entire life out there and care 11 Minneapolis as a market is chaotic. There's so much happening in Minneapolis right now. It is just never ending. You can have thousands of journalists there to cover Everything that's going on in Minneapolis, Twin Cities area, it's just it's just so much. So the news stations there are very busy, and so it was easy for me there to slip through the cracks. And you know, the, the lane that I wanted to f- slip through the cracks into wasn't available. What I I don't have that day to day journalistic experience, um, so they weren't comfortable putting me on air yet. So um, realizing that. I eventually fell into photog work. I was more of a running photog. I would get some VOs, Vosats, And it just kind of like after two months of doing VOSOTs and VOS, I stopped. I felt like I stopped growing. And, but, but, but there was no opportunity to do anything else. Towards the end of my time there, by the time I already knew I was leaving, there was some talks about, you know, like what would, would we want to train me to be a full-time photographer and care 11 being trained as a full-time photographer there would be great because some of the best photojournalists we've seen in the local news industry have come out of care 11. So, uh, but that didn't really work out. That didn't really happen because I was moving out to Portland at that time anyway, but that time where just, you know, I moved out of San Diego to Minnesota where there was just the weather was not what I was used to. It was dry. It was hard to make it out there. And, uh, you know, I was so far from family, my girlfriend living on the East coast. It just, it just didn't all add up. And I was feeling very discouraged to continue. And I was looking at all different options. I, I, I applied to options outside of Tegna, um, just to see what would it look like. Um, you know, newspapers, uh, web digital, uh, anything. Um, and constant, constant rejection, 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 rejection. So I was pretty discouraged, Uh, but you know, I knew I was still getting paid. I knew I was still putting in 40 hours a week and I knew that, you know, care 11 was going to have me, they weren't going to fire me. Like I was still putting in work. I was still shooting stuff for them and making myself um, irreplaceable. So it was just a matter of time and I had to be patient, but that patience was really discouraging. And uh, it was a tough time. It was it was definitely a really rough time. But I think things that really helped was just knowing that uh, I had options. I knew that things there there was a brighter option. But that that's that was the most darker time of my in, in my time during the industry to keep going. But I, I would I would still say my time moving from San Jose down to San Diego was still a rougher adjustment, just because mm-hmm. I didn't even know. I wanted to be in TV when I moved down to San Diego. Oh, really? Yeah, no, I did. I had no idea. Literally, I just, um, I think the TV thing came my last, probably around the time that we met, Devin. Mm-hmm. Like the whole idea of me wanting to be, and I didn't even like, I, I didn't even know I wanted to be on air. I, I was still exploring producing and digital yeah. options um, or newspaper. Like probably, I knew I wanted to be on air around the time the pandemic was hitting. Yeah. Just because I saw that the, the, the control that they had over their own reporting, that being able to build yeah. your own sources and showcase what you learned from your your sources was great. And I saw that during the beginning of the pandemic. And so it wasn't until then that I really wanted to be a storyteller.
0: Yeah. And I think like for me, at least like when NBC7 hired me, I was I mean, right in my senior year and I was thinking I wanted to focus more on sports. And um, and then I realized like, you know, I can. I can still do sports, but I I realize that this art there's an art behind producing that like it's something that I just really enjoy and I can't I I can't stay away from it. I mean, it's just you're able to you know having that creative liberty to make your own show and structure things at the way that you want to. And there's all these different shots that we can use in these graphics and um, the way that we can create news for people to see every single day and it's always different is something that like just keeps it keeps, it's something that I keep coming back to and that's what keeps drawing me in. And that's, you know, like you said, when about, um, just that idea of like wanting to be on air and that sort of thing. It, it same goes for me in terms of exploring, um, all these different paths. And I think just for me, one moment of adversity that really kind of, uh, tested me in, in journalism was when we had like my first breaking news experience, like true real, real breaking news was when um we had the plane crash in santee where this doctor was flying from yuma regional medical center to um an airport and he ended up crashing into a neighborhood killing ups driver um destroying a house uh it was a really big event and like we were basically on breaking news wall to wall coverage we had three reporters out there for all three of our day side shows and then the 11 p.m. show we we did all these different things from having like two reporters at the scene and then what our anchor was actually he he was a pilot he used to be a pilot back in the day and so like he did a whole explainer on like what investigators are going to be thinking about the flight recordings and all that stuff and so that just really opened my eyes in terms of like as a producer like you have so many you have, you have to get so many resources under a very short amount of time. And there's a lot of different avenues that you can do with it. And so that was really the big adversity testing moment for me. And then now it's like, it's kind of crazy because that moment, um, is now, I'm now being nominated for an Emmy for it. So it's like, you know, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy to just, to just see how it all, um, how it all ends up that shows being nominated for team coverage for an Emmy. So, um, you know, here's, Here's hoping we win. But it's just crazy because that those adverse moments, I think, really teach you about what you really can do and how it tests you as a journalist in in those sorts of situations.
1: Yeah. And would you agree that it's so crazy in those adverse moments that you grow the most? Oh, yes.
0: Yes. No doubt about it, especially because, like, I think you I think as journalists, we surprise ourselves. In these in these moments, because you necessarily you, you know, you you can get a real good gist about where you are, what you can do skill wise, what you're not strong at, what you're kind of strong at. But I think in these sorts of situations, you kind of just realize like you got to put your, you know, it's time to lock in, time to put your best foot forward and really just put something on that the viewers can really care about and, and want to see. And I think really in those moments are like what build those moments are what build the best journalists. is being able to, you know, under adverse situations, under the heat of the moment, being able to say, what do I need to know? Here's what you need to know. Here's everything that you need to know and, and why it matters.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of um, when I was in Minneapolis originally for the Chauvin trial, because I w- so just for a time frame purposes, I was in San Diego up until April of 2020. And, or no, March of 2020, they moved me to Minneapolis for about 30, 35 days, um, where I eventually had to cover the Chauvin trial. That's why they flew me out there. And that was number one, my first time flying on a business trip that was paid for me to go on a plane and stay at a hotel in a city that I've never been to in my entire life, a state that I've never been to in my entire life. Um, I've only been past Colorado probably once in my entire life. And that was to New York. Mm -hmm. Um, so going to Minnesota was so fucking weird. On top of that, my news director at CBS eight, San Diego knew that I wanted to be a reporter and she had the bright idea of having me go live twice a week from Minnesota (laughs) to talk about my experience as a San Diego journalist going to cover the Chauvin trial. Um, And so I did that and it was great. That was my first real live experience. And I had a Degero app on my phone that I put it on a tripod and I pretty much just ran my own solo live shot from outside the station where it would just be like that. Um, It was cool. It was great. And then shit kind of hit the fan um, during the middle of the trial uh, in Brooklyn center, just North of Minneapolis, Dante Wright was shot and killed by a Brooklyn center a white Brooklyn center police officer that ignited more unrest and we kind of had to kick it into even higher gear. You're already doing wall to wall coverage of a trial of a generation. And then you have even more shit and you just have to just, just roll with it. So we did that. And then my producer and did you ever take lose class Devin?
0: No, I had, I think I had Jerry McCormick, Cause Lou was okay, not- yes,
1: Lou. Yes. So yeah. So Lou, he just retired over Christmas break, but he is fantastic. Great producer, CBS eight legend. Um, he suggested that I go live for his 4 PM show in the early evening. And I was like, wow, that's, uh, it's kind of a really hugely watched show. Um, so there I was doing a back and forth with the 4 PM anchor. Um, but I was like, let me go live from downtown Minneapolis that'll be fun. (laughs) Wow. So I decided to bring my little iPhone and tripod there. And then I, um, there was a media staging area in a parking garage in downtown Minneapolis. And the overlook from the media parking garage looked outside towards the courthouse and the rest of downtown. And for anybody who's been to Minneapolis, you know, that everything's flat and you could see downtown from about on a clear day, 15, 20 miles away. So there I was driving from, 10 15 miles away, looking at downtown to go do my live shot. And this is my first real big boy live shot. Um, and you see downtown Minneapolis like this big and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger bigger as I'm driving into downtown. And I'm just like looking up at the buildings and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm about to go. And my heart was just sinking. (laughs) So eventually I did it and it was, uh, I would say it was probably one of my best live shots I've done probably because I didn't even have a script. And we, oh, wow. we did it back and forth for like six minutes wow. and I tossed to a sot. Oh, wow. Wow. So, that
0: makes it even more impressive. <laughs>
1: I literally just had like a notepad with like three notes on it. Cause I didn't know how it's done. I was just out there waiting yeah. it. Um, and it was great. Yeah. That, that, that one's definitely on my reel. And I think the reason why I was able to do so well is because I was literally, literally working like 16 hours a day on that trial. Uh, so I just knew it so well. Um, yeah. So that was adversity for you.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, and, and like in that moment, right? You're covering an already high, high stakes, high tension trial involving Chauvin, yeah. and then and then like you said, the Dante Wright thing happened. The Dante Wright thing happened. That adds on top of it. in In that moment, like your mentality, what's just sort of going through your head? Because you're having to juggle through a lot of stuff. I mean, that that trial in itself is just a very emotional, hard news situation. Like what are you, what's going through your head in that moment?
1: Um, what was going through my head was I cannot miss a moment. Like I, I don't, I didn't feel like sleeping. I didn't feel like um, eating. I was just wanting to make sure that I was there for any, any moment. And to show you how much I was thinking about it, give me one second. This is a copy of the star Tribune from the day Dante, the day after Dante Wright was killed. And I, they brought it to our news desk in stacks of the star Tribune, because that's what newsrooms do. They bring in stacks of the daily paper. Wow. And I took one for myself because I knew, I knew this was an event to remember. And I knew that this was a trial to remember. And this is April 12th, 2021 fatal police shooting sparks grief outrage. Um, and I saved it because I literally worked all day that day and nobody, nobody asked me to, um, I knew I had to, I, I, I knew I was there for a reason. Um, but to, to sum up what was going through my head, everything, like I cannot miss a beat. I, what, what can I do to make myself the most indispensable person right now to make sure that I provide this information? How can I sacrifice myself to make sure that I understand what's going on? so I can help educate people because this is a moment that nobody can miss.
0: And in that moment, right? I mean, do you ever look back at it now, now that you're in Portland, Maine, do you ever look back on that moment and think about like anything that you could have, that you would have changed or done differently? Like, do you ever think about that?
1: I think now it probably would have been harder for me to do those 16 hour days compared to last year. I feel like I was so fresh, like even just a year ago. Uh, no, no, I really don't. I feel like I did the best of what I could do at that moment with the tools I had then. Um, I feel like if I was not as nervous and not as new, I probably would have had Care Eleven put me in the studio to talk back to CBS 8 instead of using my phone. That's probably the only thing. But that's playing Monday morning quarterback when the game was on Sunday night. Um I I was, I just didn't know back then, you know, like I'm sure you think about that sometimes times in which you could have changed it up times in which you feel like you could have done better.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think about that sometimes when, when you make mistakes, but I also feel like I'm that type of person where mistakes kind of humble you a bit because sometimes I feel like, you know, and, and, and journalists can, can, ego can definitely get to you and you can feel those moments when ego gets to you. And, and, and for me, at least mistakes humble me because I realize, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not the best guy out there. I still have more to do. And that's like the, that's the beauty in this thing is that there's always more to do. There's more to learn. There's more to see more to, and, and more that we can act upon. And, um, in those moments, have you ever had those sorts of moments where like you've, you've kind of ever made a mistake and that sort of humbled you looking back?
1: Let's think, let's think for a moment. What won't get me in trouble. (laughs) Um, (laughs) in terms of mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring up one. You, you were working at channel seven when that, um, that sheriff's PSA of San Diego County came out where they with the, had the fentanyl. The fentanyl that yes. The fentanyl. Yeah. 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 That yeah. was, that was just so <laughs> weird. Like, I don't think I, I don't, I, I like you said, everything's every, every day is different. Mm-hmm. No story is the same. You have the same elements, but no story is ever truly exactly the same. Um, and I don't think we'll ever come across a story like that San Diego Fentanyl case ever again.
0: No, I don't think so either.
1: That was fucking bonkers, wasn't that?
0: Oh, it's just I'm. I mean, sometimes I look at at the video now and I'm like, man, how did they like? It's just it's it's crazy to think about. And then the New York Times does a big story on it. I think the the couple of days afterwards, and then everybody's like, oh, like this is big, this is serious, because you know the New York yeah. Times is on it. Like that. Well, for, for me, it's just it's a crazy moment to think about.
1: I hate, I hate to be that guy, but like, I'm going to be that guy who says like, I, I knew something was fishy. <laughs> I did. I did. And the reason why I knew something was fishy is because this happened like a month or two after the Chauvin trial, Derek Chauvin's attorneys were trying to argue that George Floyd was not killed by Derek Chauvin. He was killed by a fentanyl overdose that just so happened to coincide with his struggle with Chauvin. And they had a toxicologist on the trial who uh, was an uh, expert witness. And he said what a fentanyl overdose looks like in detail. And if he said that a fentanyl overdose, most of the time, is you slowly falling asleep, getting drowsier and drowsier. Could happen over minutes, could happen over an hour. And then you just never wake up once you get too tired. That's what a fentanyl overdose looks like. Now, now when reviewing the evidence of the George Floyd case obviously that's not what happened They he, he w- did not have a fentanyl overdose um he was murdered when you look at the san diego sheriff psa they put out this video body cam video of this new sheriff or a new sheriff's deputy who allegedly um inhaled uh, enough fentanyl to collapse fall over so the second he collapsed and fell over and I, I was like are you sure that's a fentanyl overdose and then you know 99 percent of police agencies will dress up their body cam footage with dramatic music with voiceover with with a sheriff closing in and out in a message and talking mm-hmm. about just trying just trying to create an angle with it um and it's just something was fishy. So me and then we have an investigate, we had an investigative journalist at news eight. He's still there. Um, we brought up kind of our concerns and, um, you know, it was, it was kind of just like, ah, we'll see what happens, you know? And that, that's not, I'm not blaming my newsroom at all. Any newsroom probably would have done that. Um, just because you know why, like we, it's good to be skeptical of police. I am probably one of the most skeptical people of police. But it gets to a certain point where you're like, really, would they really fake that? Would they really like, and even I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think they would, but you never know. So we didn't talk about it. And then I decided to file a PRA request into the sheriff's body cam to get the full picture of what happened to see if there was anything missing. Um, And so we just kept getting pushed off the story and then, and then the New York times ended up doing it. Um and i i was a little bit more angry than i should have been so um i went up to my news director's office and i felt like i acted a little bit more out than i should have um which you know like me in 2018 if you told me i do that i'd be like oh my god like Mm -hmm. (laughs) what was i taking like yeah because i was not that kind of confident first person back then but you know, like when you really care about a story and you get scooped by national news on your local county that you are supposed to be covering, it hurts. Yeah. So I went up there and I, you know, like I, I cried. I literally cried about it. Like I was like, we, that could have been us. Like I, we knew. But yeah, so what? Now you have to turn around and go make it better. So I, w- I, w- I, I would say that's the that's time in which I have made a mistake in that I felt like I, was, I cared too much about the story um, for nothing. Yeah. For literally nothing. Um, we ended up covering it. Everybody covered it. And it was for a stupid story, too, that, like, it, it just, it wasn't a scandal. I mean, it did cause harm because, um, you know, like, the, the, when you're a police agency or a law enforcement agency, your job is to keep people safe. And by keeping people safe, you inform them. And when you put out a bullshit PSA that you didn't even vet, which is why I'm calling it bullshit, is is doing a danger to the public because now you're going to have some dude whose friend is overdosing on fentanyl and he won't know if he's overdosing on fentanyl or not because he watched the sheriff's video, which put out false information. Yeah, exactly. And so that, that's a damage to the public. Like, And so that's why I was fired up over it. But yeah, I will say if I could go back in time, I probably would not have been so angry about it because it just it just stressed me more out than it should have.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm um you know every every journalist has their like sort of welcome to the industry moment um you know Luis talked about how he I think he had to cover like a dust storm as breaking news in Yuma um my moment was when uh that plane crash was sort of like my welcome to the journalism moment because what's crazy is I was actually not supposed to work that day and I subbed in for someone and ended up working in that ended up being a breaking news in that you know, now I'm in a nomination for an Emmy, which is just crazy to think about. But anyway, that was my moment. Um, what's your welcome to journalism moment?
1: Oh, man. Um, what a question, Devin. Um, I guess one of the one of the moments off the top of my head, like, was back when I was still in the producer in residence program. I we were working remotely. This was like June or July of 2020. So we were really, really deep into working remotely already. It was desolate at that time. Like it was, it was real dark hours there. Um, And so I clocked in to do uh, a cut-in and the cut-in was supposed to be about COVID. The County was going to give a COVID update and I was going to do a remote production, um, which was kind of hard to do. Uh, I would have preferred to go into the studio, but I was like, you know what, if this pandemic is going to continue, let me try doing, Producing this cut in remotely. So I logged in, and then um, the producer for the 5 p.m. slacks me and he's like, Hey, like I saw you just logged in. Um, there was a, an amphibious Marine vehicle that flipped over and killed like six people, Marines on board in Camp Pendleton. And we need you to make the cut in that. And you're going to do the cut in with our anchor, Carlo Chiquetto. And he, and we're going to have him tossed to, you know, the, whoever was in command that day, who was going to give the media briefing. So I, I didn't even know the story. Like I was just Mm -hmm. like, okay, like, and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not the well-versed when I'm not that well-versed when it comes to military naval operations. I'm not. And, uh, so just doing that story was really hard, but I just had to do it. So I just stuck to what I know. I knew I, I said six people dead, um x amount injured here at the d and we just kind of did it like and it was just and i forgot about it pretty quickly and it just happened so much stress so much stress just to make something happen for yeah. air yeah like you <laughs> We're you, cutting. you stress yourself out so much just to make air and make it look nice and then you forget about it and restart it again then you next
0: do day. it all again tomorrow that's the beauty of this thing is like you get do it yeah. all again tomorrow but
1: and that that's welcoming you to the industry knowing that you just have to bust ass to make air
0: yeah it's It's crazy. I mean, like, and and I I think, I still think about it to this day even though I've been at NBC for a year and a half is, like, we, everything that we put on air is, like, so important and we put a lot of, you know, real attention and and patience and carefulness and, and even stress goes toward everything that we put on air. And the beauty of it is that, like, even if you, if you fuck it up or you make a mistake or if it doesn't air to your liking, you get to do it all again tomorrow. And, like, That's what I, that's what I, that's what I love about it is like you get, you get, it's like chasing, you know, you chase the, chase the bank robbers and you caught them today. Maybe you didn't get them today and you get another chance of getting them tomorrow. I mean, that's the beauty of this thing. At least I I find it in that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, that's for producing, that's for digital work. That's for reporting. It's you, you always get another chance. And Each day is a new chance to, to do well. Do you, do you ever confuse your productivity to your success like do you you ever not have a productive day at work and you're like damn i didn't do anything even though you did you did you literally did your job yeah
0: yeah i I, that's happened before we're like i'll i'll be like sometimes i'll be at work and i'm like man i feel like i'm just not giving a hundred percent but i'm getting everything done and everything's going well and it's and i'm like but man sometimes i just feel like i don't know like i won't feel like a hundred percent or i'm not giving like my best effort and i'm like man i'm like am i not doing good like or at least I'll feel like yeah. I'm behind and like, um, but yeah, it's crazy that you asked me that. Cause I never, th- I mean, I've had those thoughts, but I never actually thought about it before realistically, but in, in that sort of aspect, yeah, I've, I've had those moments where like I confuse productivity for success, but sometimes that necessarily, I think in my opinion, like sometimes those, you necessarily don't have to be giving your best effort all the time in order to be successful because you can still be successful, you know, If you just, as long as you get your stuff in and you do what you need to do, then you've had, you've, you've done what you've done.
1: It's just that consistency, like literally just within this last month, uh, I'd say it's been, I honestly, probably closer to, to two months, um, maybe coming up on two months now, but I've had a full month of storytelling. The stories that I work my hardest on end up like not being what finds that I'm like, that's, I like that it's the stories that I just do because like, it was an idea that came in that got like the best reviews. Um, Like I can't really name a story right now, but there there's been like two or three that like, I just kind of did just cause I was like, what, that, that was the only thing I had to do that day. Mm -hmm. And then I got such good reviews by the anchors, like anchors would come up to me after the show was over and be like, that was a really good package that was a really good story. How did you find that story? And I'm like, honestly, I don't even remember what I did. <laughs> I don't, I don't I like literally the second I finished my web article, I'm like zip out of here. Like yeah. I, I write some notes because like, it might be good for a follow-up later, but I'll reference that later when I'm looking for a story. But until then, psh, bye. Like I I'm, I'm so drained. Cause I gave, I gave my all for like 10 hours for that day. Also did like Luis, Luis, for example, he produces, he anchors, he reports. Yes. Like how many hours a day does he put in like 10?
0: I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming so, but yeah. he's, he's, oh yeah. And, you know, and then that's those smaller, those pretty- smaller markets are like yeah. kind of that, you know, and, and that's one of the things that like I always talk about is like those, those smaller markets are your real real estate to kind of make mistakes and, and, and learn about yourself yeah. because you get to do everything.
1: I'm literally like on Sunday, I worked almost 12 hours. I literally left the station at 7 a.m. to go meet some people for a hike. So I could go get this plant that only grows in the Northeast that grows during one month only. And it's like really good quality food. It's great. So I filmed a bunch of that. I went on a four mile hike and hiked my camera gear all around for four miles. And then I went to the beach to go film a beach restoration. And then I went back to the station to turn, I turned a package and I turned a VOSA. The and plans? then I went live at the anchor desk for my package. So like, and then I, that was, that was literally all, a 12 hour turn for everything. It was just so, it was, that was so much. And like, literally I do days like that probably once a week. And then all the other days are like anywhere from nine to 10 hours. Mm. It's just, it's crazy. Like, and I, I take my, now I take my weekends in stride. Like yeah. I am off Friday and Saturday. I am, Bye. See you later. Don't call me. Don't text <laughs> yeah. me. Like I need, I am resting. I'm sleeping. I am drinking. I am playing video games. Like it is, it is absolute goblin hour. Yeah. Like when, when I'm, when I'm not working. Cause yeah. I, I, I need that rest. You need, you need mm. to have time to yourself so it's that essential. you could continue bettering yourself because at the end of the day, what are we really looking for out of this? You know, like, oh, yeah, you, you got to take care of yourself. And especially now when we're so young and we have to work ourselves because we have to prove, we feel like we have to prove ourselves we kind of do. We're kind of, we're just stuck having to do that. We just, we just have to keep trying hard. Um, but I don't know. Now I'm just rambling.
0: Yeah. No, no you know, you made some great points. And um, you know, on, on that topic of like storytelling, I mean, you've had so many interesting stories that I've read about. I mean, one of them being the refugee that works as a janitor. Um, that one was really interesting. I never expected that one. That one, like, um, do you have any, any favorite stories that you've done, whether that's been at CBS or at, K- at care 11 or even at new center main, like any, any stories?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That refugee one, the, the graduate, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a story that literally just came my way that day. And I was just like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. I don't have anything else going on. Like, let's do it. And it just worked out. It, it, like that that opening sequence i had with the gnats and like the students moving out i shot that like an hour or two before it aired that's great like by it, the way. i I, did, I asked him i was like what's happening to and was like students are moving out i'm gonna go clean some dorms and i'm like oh let me go join you that was great and i just asked the students if i could film them moving out like as so like that's what i said a lot of luck and but i worked hard for that luck to happen um And it just worked out to be its great piece. And I would say that was one of my favorite, after that piece came out, people came up to me afterward, like producers and anchors and said, that was a really good piece. Well done, blah, blah, blah. Um, And uh, the thing that I didn't, I definitely noticed, and this 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 has happened to you, I'm sure, where you noticed an error in your piece or you noticed an error in what you're doing, but everybody else doesn't.
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Um, This happened to me, but like 10 times worse. Like the microphone was so bad. I had a bad connect. It was definitely, number one, he talked quiet, which I don't blame him. Number two, my microphone, like I, when I clipped it on, I pointed it outward, like down here. Oh, so, so it, wasn't it was voice capturing voice. full like oh. um, voice. And then, uh, it, and then I had like low battery. So the connection kept popping and stuff like that. So like, I personally don't think I could have heard a word, but everybody else loved it. And I'm just like, is there something wrong with me? Like, are you guys all fucking with me? Like, so I don't know, whatever. People like it. And if a lot of people like it and it did really popular, it got thousands of likes on our Facebook page, which is huge for Mainers on social media. Yeah. Who knows? I might submit that for an Emmy. It was, it was, it was a good piece. You should. Uh, Yeah. It was just, yeah, that was great. I, I would say that's one of my favorites that I've done here at new center, Maine. Um, what's another one? I think, uh, God, it's so hard to think right now, um, about even what I reported on yesterday. I feel like I liked yesterday's oh yeah yeah yesterday the the sequence i did you see the one that i did yesterday the sequence where i'm like walking through all the different streets with like oh yeah that
0: was that was awesome that was fantastic by the way i was like wow this is you really put in a lot of work for that that was really good
1: i would i would say that that was that's hands down my favorite one i've done like it was just it was just dope like the story was like a block away from our station so i didn't have to drive so i just had this i could spend my extra half hour that i wouldn't be driving just figuring out how i could do my open um and then while I was finishing the open, like I just heard like an anchor being like, wow, that was that was so well done. Like that would they killed it. And I'm just like the, hearing stuff like that from people in the newsroom just feels great. And then that that woman who I who was the main character of my story. Yeah. Who was closing her business out because of that construction. I did not interview her. My package aired at five and she we did not even speak until two thirty that day. Oh, wow. That's so like, close my my story was going to be a completely different character of somebody who was thinking about moving. And then she contacted me and she was like, hey, like I'm here at my business. I heard you were here, I'm down the talk. And I texted her and I said, I'm so sorry, not enough time. And then she said, no, you have to interview me because I'm closing next week.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And I'm like, okay, I'm going. So I yeah, my news director was like, because I, I had a Vosat at four, package yeah. at five, Vosat mm-hmm. at six. Mm-hmm. Um, my producers said, screw the votes out at four. So we'll give you just less time to stress about that and just go get that subject. So I did. And yeah, it turned out great. I, I would say that was great. And then she texted me afterward and she said she really liked the story and I, I plugged her business in my live shot at six about it. So hopefully this weekend she'll get some business. Um, yeah. Cause that's what it's really all about is just helping out your community.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now like what does a typical day look like for you like do you get like oh four o'clock we got to do look like vosite five o'clock package six o'clock anchor vosite like what is that what is that what does it look like for you in terms of a typical day at New center Maine?
1: it really depends i don't really know what i'm gonna do for the four five and six until about 11 a.m noon um i and the funny thing is about New center Maine is that you don't get assigned stories for the day. You have to go into the editorial meeting with your story ready to go. Ah. So um, at about 7 or 8 a.m., me and the rest of the reporters will pitch our stories in our Microsoft Teams chat. Um, and so that means that while you're being super busy reporting throughout the day, you also have to be finding stories. So uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a drain. Um, but it, it's helped me a lot in terms of being resilient and being able to just trust the process of literally just leave a voicemail to somebody who may be a potential source. And two weeks later, you'll forget about it. And they'll call you and be like, Hey, I'm done the talk. And then you'll have a story that you don't even have to worry. You don't even think about it. You'll just do the story and then it just works out. And so stuff like that, it, it just helps with that. Um, so I guess around six thirty or 7. AM, I wake up. I make myself some breakfast and I usually have my, I usually, I like to, I don't think any, I don't think any reporter that I work with really goes to bed without having some idea of what they're going to do tomorrow. Um, but the part that sucks is that it's up to us to figure that out. Yeah. So, um, see tomorrow I have a PTO day cause it's Alex's birthday. So I'm driving down to Boston, bringing her some cake and that, but Thursday, I don't really know what I'm doing. There's a lot of stuff that happened today. Like I was at work until about two hours ago, um, just following the city council meeting. So they, I have like two or three follow-up ideas, but they're not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Um, as long as I have some idea of what I'm going to do going to be doing that, that's all that matters. And then around 9:30 we have our editorial meeting, and then I give like a summary of what I'm going to try doing for the day. Maybe around 10 or 11 a.m, if my sources aren't really getting back to me, uh, I'll go to my managing editor. And I'll say, Hey, this isn't really working out. And then I may, she may have an idea cause she's always online and eight times out of 10, she'll have a good idea for me to go pursue for the day. Uh, but that 20% of the time I may just end up going to shoot a few Vosots, but it's, it's, it's really weird like that. But if I do like today, um, yeah, today today was pre, today was a story that I reached out on like two weeks ago and didn't hear anything back until like about a day or two ago. And then i just been building it up. And I found out that, you know, about a month or two ago, the city of South Portland introduced this proposal to declare racism a public health crisis. And I found out on Friday that they were going to be voting on it tonight, Tuesday. So then from Friday to today, I've been busy cultivating my sources. Like if I ever had five minutes of free time, I'll shoot an email or I leave a voicemail. Uh, and then today all everything kind of lined up and I was able to interview people and talk with them. And, uh, yeah, then so then I did it like a look life package, um, today. Uh, and then yeah, the, the city council meeting went on way longer than expected. I don't even know if they're done yet. Um, as I'm talking to you right now, but they're scheduled to vote on it tonight. And I heard from the mayor that they are going to vote on it. So there's
0: that. So you guys don't usually have assignment desk people, right? Like you have to come up with your own ideas night before and then that's sort of that. Or is it like, do you have like people who you can turn to for ideas within the organization? Like how does that work if you necessarily don't have an idea?
1: I think that um, I have to come up with my own ideas most of the time, but and so if, if my idea for the day isn't working out, say if every single, every single source that I need to be on the story just literally isn't responding to my calls and it's already like 11 or noon, then I'll start reaching out to my managing editor or the producers usually have good ideas um, and just kind of figure it out from there. I, I've only had one or two days where it'll be really bad and my story won't work out for the day. And then um I'll just go out and maybe go to court, like there's always court hearings, so my managing editor might send me to the to the judicial center, get some court records, and then you know, if it's beefy enough, we could do a vosat um and stuff like that, but most of the time yeah yeah i i, I usually have people to turn to, but most uh, most of the time, if my story doesn't work out it's it gets pretty dire
0: hmm hmm now. Now that you're a MSJ, multi-skilled journalist, you've been a producer before. Has, have there ever been any sort of, like, what was that transition like? And did you ever have any interlapse? Do you feel like from producer role to now MSJ role, do you feel like there are skills that you took away from your past roles and it kind of applies to what you do now?
1: Uh, yeah, I feel like my, my time at CARE 11, some days I would produce, some days I would do digital, and some days I would report. It was just that was that was just so weird about Kara levins because I just kind of filled in where I needed to because you know my mentor was out so I just kind of filled in. Um, so yeah, that was that was just really weird. I feel like you know my onboarding at News Center Maine was kind of funny because um, part of my onboarding was to do like two or three days of actual like AP work, kind of help out the producers with their shows. I really only had one day of APing because. I knew how to produce. So like, I just wrote the story and then did my, I did my own like um, macros for the Vosots and anchored stuff like that. So it was just, it's not what, and that that's part of the reason why, like, I'm so kind of happy that I started my career in the program for producing residences because, you know, like I was literally thinking now that kind of COVID is spiking again. If I get COVID and I need to be out, I could literally just shift to digital and work from home. Like not a lot of reporters can do that. I could publish. I, I know how to, and I know good AP style. Um, or I could like AP for the day. Like it, it's just, it's just stuff like that. Like if I can't report, if I can't go out and get stories, like I have that experience now that I know that I could be indispensable in that way. Um, and, uh, my station knows that too. Uh, but I, I would much prefer to stay a reporter full time, of course, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess so. Um, for sure.
0: Um, and one other thing I wanted to ask you was like, obviously we have had so many, uh, fun moments from the DA and, and whatnot. And, um, for all those up and coming journalists out there that like maybe are hesitant about wanting to take in part in the DA or internships or, and things like that. What, what would you tell those people? about your experiences just with even the producer in residence program even with the DA just how how much that helped you into getting you where you are right now
1: uh you know i'd i'd say that like there's an issue with uh being back in college and viewing some people who are in our position or who are out somewhere else reporting that that's the pinnacle that getting to there means that you made it Um, and I think that having that mentality when you're 19, 20 and viewing somebody like me and saying that that means that you made it, that's a little toxic because I'm still the same exact person. I was at the DA, I'm still the same exact person you saw at our DA kickbacks or at the Koalaween party. Like I'm, I'm still literally the exact same person. Nothing's changed except I'm just losing sleep and I'm so stressed out. Nothing's changed. So just, it, it, you just I, I would say get that image out of your head because that's been fed to you um, all your life from the moment you were in school to now um, that that getting that full time job, having that career, having that industry that you want to be in. None of that matters if you're not enjoying yourself. None of that does. Exactly. You have to find a way to. And, and if you don't enjoy yourself in news, who cares? It's not for you. New, news is not for everybody. Same way being a chef is not for everybody. Same way being a musician is not for everybody. And that's okay because you have the stuff that you're good at. It's gonna take hard work to find out what you're good at and what you wanna do. Um, But I I would say when you're in college, um, you should, that's the time to be trying out absolutely everything and finding out what you like. I I did not know what I wanted in high school. I just wanted to have a good time with my friends and, um, you know, savor the moments of being in my youth because I had older siblings and I knew that what was coming was more real than what I was currently experiencing in high school. So I got D's and C's in high school because I was just ditching school to go to McDonald's, ditching school to go to the mall or Starbucks. And, uh, I would encourage my friends to skip school with me. Uh, we had this journalism class in high school and I ended up getting a D in it. Because I just kept ditching. I just didn't care. <laughs> I just wanted to have fun. I la- I mean, the teachers loved me. I yeah. was great with the teachers. They all thought I was great. Uh, but they gave me D's and C's because that's what I deserved for my work. Um, and I saw then I didn't I went to community college because I just didn't know what to do. And so you, you really just have to focus on you know just enjoying yourself and understanding what you like. and don't compare yourself to somebody else and decide that that's what you want to do with your life um just because it looks like they're successful because chances are they're still they're still just as confused as you are so that's my long-winded approach to saying nobody gives a fuck just figure out what you like to do and have fun with it and work hard find find something you like doing and work hard at it and if you really like doing it then you will work hard at it
0: yeah that's what i would say i would say too. like do something that you love doing like find your passion, whether that's it, you know, cause some, like you said, news isn't not for everybody. And so you got to find what you're passionate in and like really, really, you know, hone in on that craft, hone your crafting on that, hone in your, your real focus on that and, and build that because, you know, you don't want to spend your life or in, in, in your journalism career doing something that you don't want to do. And right. I think that's a big thing is like, it's better to be having fun and doing something that you love than being miserable and like, in a job that like is you know that that you just accepted just because of the money like you know what I'm saying like it's it's easier do something that you love doing that that's what yeah. I would say.
1: Well, that's why I moved to Maine for Minneapolis. I I knew that something was better, and it, you know if Maine didn't work, May so far Maine's working out great. But if it didn't work out and if it wasn't what I thought it was, I would be at this. I wouldn't go backwards. I would still be in the same space I was in Minneapolis. So I knew there was only you got to calculate your risks. Like me moving to Maine, if it didn't work out, I would be in the same position. I wouldn't be going backwards. I would either be staying the same or going forward. So it's good to calculate your risks.
0: Exactly, exactly. And and I'll mention this is that um, before I got promoted as a producer at NBC, um, I actually was in the process of, of this um, content producer position at NBC Chicago. And it was like basically, it was basically the same job that I do right now, the only real benefit was that it was in a bigger market and there was more money. But in my honest opinion, I felt like there was the promotion that NBC had to offer me, you know, being a producer, doing a lot more within, and I'm, the fact that I'm staying, you know, home and then doing all these other things rather than like making this big transition for, you know, 22 year old kid and all that stuff. It's like, um, at least for me, like you said, you got to calculate the certain risks that you want to take. And, um, and like you said, and that comes with, with, whether that's with a job offer, whether that's with, um, you know, stories that you do, whatever there, there are a lot of decisions that you can make and take calculated risks on.
1: And who knows if you went to Chicago, it would have taken you another year or two to become a producer. Who knows?
0: Exactly. Who knows? Um, but yeah, Jack, thanks for coming on any final words that you'd like to tell listeners.
1: That um yeah I'm tired, but I'm having fun. And I've wanted to be on this podcast for a while. So all you faithful listeners out there, take it easy. Have some fun, work hard, and just enjoy life. Life's too short to be doing stuff you don't enjoy. So even if you're stuck in your workplace, find some hobby, do whatever, have a drink, paint something, read a book, hit up a friend you haven't talked to in a while call that aunt that you haven't talked to in a while either i'm sure she'd love to hear from you and uh it'll make you feel good too when you call old friends and family members
0: oh yeah yeah i'll definitely say that, that's for sure i've done that quite <laughs>
1: quite a few times doesn't it, make you feel good? Doesn't <laughs> yeah. it like they, they feel good you you're like you haven't talked to them in like two haven't or three talked
0: years oh like, like great to see you great to see you oh my gosh it's great to hear from you uh um, yeah. yeah oh anyway but listeners, you can follow Jack Momad on Twitter at j You can catch the stuff that he's doing at New Center Maine. Visit New Center Maine. Jack, keep doing amazing things. Uh, great to see you again, as always. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Of course, Devin, and uh, make sure you go to Graciella's in my honor.
0: Oh yeah, tomorrow I'll def- I'll stop by there tomorrow just for you.
1: Oh yes, <sighs> that's fire. Thank you, Devin. Thanks, Jack. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to my conversation with News Center main MSJ, Jack Moment. You can reach out to Jack on Twitter. Just visit at J Moment. Stay tuned for more episodes very soon. Stay safe and have a great day, everyone.